Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we enter 2017 calling it the year of our Lord, meaning our Lord Jesus Christ, who since he has ascended is Lord of all of history for the sake of the church. And so we say this is A.D. in the year of our Lord is what that means. It stands for some Latin. A.D. 2017. And we say, God guides all things. He's in control of it all and all for the glory of Christ with Christ at the center. But when we look around, when we look back at 2016, there seem to be a lot of things that contradict our confession that Christ is on the throne. Persecution of Christians is increasing in China after for some decades, or a couple anyway, it was decreasing. Persecution of Christians in Islamic areas, northern Africa, increases and it moves southward. People are suffering. And a lot of the world seems not to care. And here in Canada, the press hates all teachings and practices that are Christian. And politicians, particularly in Ontario, are afraid to say a word in defense of the teachings or practices of Christianity. War, violence, and anger are, and and hatred continued in the U.S. election, in impeachments in Brazil, in Italy, think of Brexit, In the United Kingdom, earthquakes, hurricanes, and wildfires continued. Surely you haven't forgotten Alberta, Italy, Ecuador, Haiti. How do we continue to see Christ at the center? Well, let me answer that briefly, first of all. Number one, we walk by faith, not by sight. We start with the Word of God, and in it we discover that God has already told us to expect persecution from the world and evidence of his curse on creation because of our sin. So, when we say Christ is on the throne, we walk by faith in the Word of God, not by judging just from what our eyes see. We don't see things rightly until we actually walk by faith. And then our vision gets corrected. So that's where we start. And second, we learn to identify the core of God's work in the church, in the place where we find a people obedient to him. When the church veers off course, then we go back to number one, the word of God, and we walk by faith. Once more, we go to the scriptures to have our faith and hope reignited. And so this morning at the beginning of 2017, I want to turn with you to Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him, according to the power, his power at work within us, to him be glory. Just to give it to you in the New International Version, which... did a good job in Ephesians of 
putting some, some really good words in there to, to try and capture these thoughts of the apostle. Use the word immeasurably here. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The word imagine actually captures it quite well here too. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory. So I want to encourage us all this morning and say take heart for 2017. Take heart for 2017 because our God can do immeasurably more. Now perhaps you say this is a text of high theology about the absolute power of God. And this theologian standing on the pulpit is going to go over our heads talking about whether or not God can create square circles. And I didn't get out of bed or get into bed until one o'clock this morning. Well, that's not the point of this text at all. <clears throat> and I will show you, Lord willing, that these words are for you and me to gain confidence and strength of faith. The words address, actually, our doubts and our weaknesses. And they're meant to help those in any trouble and move us to praise. These words are given to encourage you in God. And these words themselves are able to do far more abundantly than all we as sinners might ask or imagine. These are the words of God. Now, if you took the whole book of Ephesians and you ran it through a dehydrator so you would be left with just the most nutritious core of all its riches, it's so rich I don't know how that would be possible, and surely we cannot take away from the pure and holy word of God, but if you just imagine that you dehydrated it like vegetables or fruit that you want to put into dry uh, cold room storage, <clears throat> you'd end up with Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to his power at work within us, to him be glory. Now let us do two things. First, let's notice the whole sentence in its, uh, that the words belong to, and then we'll go to the explanation. So the verses 20 and 21 are one sentence, now to him who is able. And, and then the apostle goes on about the him he's speaking about. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And he seals it with the Amen. So now let's deepen our heart's understanding of this, the explanation. The words are an ascription of praise to God. We call that a doxology. When the apostle says in Greek, now to him be glory, he says to him be doxa. And there you get the word doxology. These are words of praise saying God has doxa, he has glory, and he should receive glory from us, be glorified, be acknowledged, and heralded and praised as glorious. So this is a doxology.
Now, the next thing is that this doxology is at the end of a prayer. Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21 is not a direct prayer, but it contains all the things that the Apostle Paul desires in prayer for the churches, for all churches, and, and for us in 2017 as well. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that, so here's what he's praying for, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and the length and the height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Should probably have read it twice as slow to try to capture every rich word and you just have to look at this and love it love it love it look at that last line verse 19 in particular he, he can't just pray that we would know God but the fullness of God and not just the fullness of God but all the fullness of of God and not just all the fullness of God, that we be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a very pregnant expression. And this part of the prayer follows perfectly from his desire that we would have the ability with all the saints to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth that is to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Christ's love is everywhere. Its depths are unfathomable. Its top is unreachable. Its length is infinite. And its breadth, its width, is as far as the east is from the west. It is a love that surpasses knowledge. It finds its way into the hearts and lives of people, transforms them, heals their relationships, and makes people able to forgive. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived. What God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. And Paul said it in another way, also in verse 19, when he wrote about his prayer that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, how can one know what surpasses knowing? You either know it or you don't know it. How do you know what surpasses knowing? Well, he is trying to use words to show that this love is not just something you know in your head. It's not just a term, but a reality. And he writes about this, 
if I can sort of say it to you this way, I'm trying to capture something of the Greek for you. The surpassing of knowledge, love, the surpassing of knowledge, love, of Christ. So he's packing the terms tightly to underline that the kind of knowledge he means is this intimate knowledge like the way in which God knows his children. Those whom he foreknew really means those whom he foreloved. The apostle has prayed for some really awesome stuff. Already he can hardly find words to describe the love of Christ. And thus when he contemplates how anyone could really know such deep love in their hearts, how they could know what it means that a divine someone came and loved them to death, his own death, then he turns in the final moment to praise the God who is able to do more than all we can ask or imagine. Why does he do that at that point? It's because he realizes that lost sinners could never know this God in truth, let alone in his depths. He realizes some of us may read what he prays for us and say, that's impossible. I cannot ever experience that. My life is too messy. This little heart is just too troubled. I don't know what life is, uh, what love is. It's a word, but not a reality. It's an idea, but not an experience for me. People don't love me. And surely that means then that God doesn't love me. How could he anyways, chapter 2, verse 3 says, that I am a child under his righteous wrath. That teaching I find fully confirmed in my life, but not this unfathomable, inexceedable, infinite love. That will never happen for me. And the apostle says, hold on. Stop right there. Now to him who is able, him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And here too, he piles up the phrases. Let me show you how he piles them up in our text by translating kind of word for word from the Greek. Now to him who is able to do. That's how it starts. But not just able, but able to do more than everything. But not just able to do more than everything, but able to do more than everything immeasurably. But not just able to do more than anything immeasurably, but able to do more than everything immeasurably, more than all those things we ask. And finally, not just able to do more than everything immeasurably, more than all those things we ask, but able to do more than everything immeasurably, more than all those things we ask or even imagine. Don't you just... Love it. The 
In the Greek language, the apostle piles up terms and builds his own compound words to attempt to express what cannot be expressed fully. And he exudes a great measure of emotion, awe, and admiration for the surpassing greatness of God. Never limit the ability of God. Never limit the ability of God. When you doubt, the problem is not a shortness in God's love, but a weakness in our hearts to comprehend God's love. It's not that your life is too messy. It's that you are limiting the infinite love of God in Christ to reach into your life. And that brings us to yet another remarkable point about this verse. It is actually the high point of the entire letter. The apostle uses it at the end of his rich and fulsome explanation of the superabounding grace of God and just before his spiritual application. In chapters 1 to 3, he speaks of God, who in the unfathomable depths of his love chose sinners, that's how the book opens, who are by nature subject to his righteous anger and sentence of death, as we read in chapter 2. In Christ, he forgave, canceled their debt, adopted them to be his beautiful children, renewed them by his spirit living in the core of their hearts, ended their animosity towards other people, and then gathered them together into one body, the church. And chapters 1 to 3 are all about the riches of what has happened through Christ's death and resurrection. Things unbelievable for sinners. Chapters 4 through 6 are all about the practical ways of living that reflect who we have become as people who believe in and love God in Christ. And so the function of Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21, is just like another one that you're probably a bit more familiar with, Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord, and so forth and so forth. And to him... Or for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. That's Paul's summary of everything he taught in Romans 1 through 11, all about salvation. And if we go back to thinking about how dehydrating preserves all the nutritious, nutritional riches of the fruit or vegetable, let's make it a little better illustration now. Think of a bud on a tree. Trees are full of buds right now. Or think of a seed packed with all the life and the nutrition of an entire plant. That's what Ephesians 3 verse 20 is. And the end of chapter 3 with its prayer, and particularly the doxology, then forms the hinge between the teaching section and the application section of the letter. It's the high point of the entire letter. It's the climax Paul, we said, opens with election, God finding in the depths of his own heart a love to choose sinners for eternal life. 
And chapters 1 to 3 are full of these extravagant words like glorious grace, 1 verse 6, riches of grace, 1 verse 7, lavished on us, just poured it out more and more and more, 1 verse 8, riches of his glorious inheritance, 1 verse 18, incomparably great power for us who believe. 1 verse 19, great love, rich in mercy, 2 verse 4, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, 2 verse 7, or to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, 3 verse 8, and then how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, 3 verse 19, this love that surpasses knowledge. And the climax is right here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory forever. And the apostle is writing this way because he has written such, such amazing things about God's grace. And you're just left saying, how can this be? And he says, because of him who does immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. As Jesus said in Matthew 19, verse 26, different context, but with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so I can only pray that God will do immeasurably more than all I have asked or imagined with the words that I bring you today. <clears throat> and there's no doubt that he can. And a preacher can only stutter and try to speak God's words after him, but God. You should never doubt what God can do for you. And now I want to point out one last thing. Have any of you noticed that God has already been graciously directing your lives into a greater trust and obedience towards him? Have you noticed in yourself a love and commitment towards other children of God? Is God doing something in your life, even a little bit, even now as you hear his word? Is he doing something, stirring something up in your heart? Are there sins that you surely hate precisely because they're sins against God? If you can say yes to any of these questions, then you should receive some encouragement. God is already doing more than you asked or imagined. In your sinful self, you would never have asked for any of this. The first stirrings of new life in you, in me, in any of us, are because of God's living spirit, not because of our dead hearts. And it's precisely such a thought that the apostle himself advances he writes, 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, and then these words, we didn't deal with them yet, according to the power at work within us. In his words, according to the power that is at work within us, they teach God's people to recognize how great and wonderful is God's own work of renewing their hearts. We see something new happening. A love for God. A hatred of sin. A new desire arising which seeks to please God and not our inherited sinfulness any longer. And all of this is new as regards sin and this world. It's the new way, not the old way. It's life, not death. It's Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, not the world, not sin, not demons. And this newness must indeed be a great encouragement to you because the Apostle says, in accordance with or in conformity with this power that's already working in you who read this letter and hear these words, in conformity with that, you should take to heart that God is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. He already is. The Apostle is saying, look at what he has already doing and take to heart that he who began a good work in you will also bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1 verse 6. That is the point of that in accordance with or in accord with or according to phrase at the end of 3 verse 20. The present accomplishments of God should encourage you. So I'm, I'm thinking now especially of those who, who go through some trouble and some difficulty in their lives, who have some hurts and some scars and pain. Maybe you only prayed to get through a day. You only imagine maybe having a better sleep the next night. You only ask for grace to face one little temptation. Lord, just help me with this one. You only ask for enough peace to be able to read one chapter of your favorite book without having to stop. Or you only sought to receive the Lord's Supper, Lord, just once without trembling and shaking. Or you ask for, Lord, just one reasonable conversation with your teen or your parent or your husband or your wife when things aren't well. But God... And I can look and I can see that for some of you, even though I don't know you all that well. I can testify that God has done far more abundantly. And so here you are, trusting in God, loving others. God is really at work. That didn't happen for any other reason, but God... There's a desire present to do what's pleasing to him. He put it there. He's acting. And you and I don't yet realize the half of what he will do for us in all eternity as he draws us higher and deeper into himself. And even in this life, he will bring trials and yet draw you closer to him in faith. What a precious experience that is. 
Never doubt that he can do that. Now, for all of this, God must receive the glory. And that's what this text moves us to desire and to seek. That's why the next chapter rightly begins with our humility. God gets the glory. We pursue humility. Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's the way forward in 2017. As you keep God in the center and at the top, as you give him the glory, you stop putting your own glory first. You become humble, gentle, patient, and loving toward each other because God has so greatly loved you first. And then the more that your faith in Christ is confirmed and strengthened, that's the core of your, your new life, comes the core of all your life. The more that strengthened, the more you're equipped to live in all your relationships in 2017. That's the only way to find lasting patience, peace, gentleness, humility, and love in Christ who loved you first. He needs to be your foundation. So you don't try to get out of other people and out of this world and out of all its stuff the satisfaction and pleasure and joy that you can only find in the Lord Jesus Christ. With his outstretched arms, as he died on the cross, he embraced all your sin and trouble and paid the price. And with his outstretched arms, as he ascended to glory, he blessed you with all his power and love. His Holy Spirit, is the gift of his love, renewal, and power. And he has done more than all that we as sinners ever asked or imagined. He's able to do more than we are asking or even imagining now. So as we enter 2017, let us walk by faith, not by sight. God is in control. He is good all the time. Christ Jesus, our Savior, is on the throne. The Holy Spirit is the divine person of this God's love coming to live in your heart. That's a miracle. So do not doubt that he will do what you are asking already now. Trust in God and praise him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. To him be glory throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.